What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Next Level Freedom Church podcast. My name is Trenton Cruz. I'm the lead pastor of Next Level Freedom Church in Jackson, Missouri. If you're seeking a church family that can help you grow in your relationship with Christ, or maybe you just want to check us out online, be sure to check out our website, www.nextlevelfreedomchurch.com. I hope today's episode will inspire you and encourage you as you fulfill the destiny God has for your life and fulfill your divine purpose in God's master plan. Thanks for tuning and God bless. Hey everyone, I know this is a little bit different than what you're used to, um, but it turns out um, last Sunday's message we took about an hour and a half of time, um, and I understand people have a short attention span. So here's what I've decided to do on today's message. What we did on last week's message was we talked about Q&As that have come through um, miraculously on our YouTube channel um, for the last or the week before that, because we block all comments on YouTube, and I'm going to explain that reasoning as I get into the questions we're going to talk about today. Um, we're still going to do a Q&A, but what I would like to do is I want to set a 10-minute timer, and I want to answer the first few questions within a 10-minute time period, because we spent probably 45 minutes or so, maybe 15 minutes breaking them down, and there really are things that can be answered fairly quickly. And then when we get into the final few questions that were given to us this week, I want to go ahead and just play of that portion, the last part of last week's message. Um, and that way, it's not as long as it was. Now, if you were live and in person with us last week, praise God, bless you, you got the full, full-blown message. We went into very much more detail than what I'm gonna do right here on this video. So what I'm gonna do right now is I'm gonna set my 10-minute timer. I'm starting it right now. And in the next 10 minutes, because there's still about 45 minutes worth of explaining on the last few questions. So I'm trying to knock this part out in a 10 minute time frame so that way this message doesn't go on forever and that I can answer the question basic. First thing you need to understand, actually I can just read the question because the question actually asked has something to do with why we do block comments on YouTube. So I'm gonna read these. These are straight from how they were commented word for word. So some of them, you can tell there are anger in the people that are asking these questions or the person that is asking these questions. There is anger behind what's being asked. There's confusion. There's misunderstanding. However, we are not afraid to answer questions about the Bible. And so that's what we're going to do today. So we've elected to take the next little over nine minutes now to talk about these first few questions. And then I'm going to play the last part of last week's message so you can catch the last few questions right there because they were good questions. I mean, people have questions in this society and they need answered. First one says this, and remember, these are word for word how they were written to me. So uh, it says the shaking part five, overcoming doubt from 5723. It was referring to a message from last May um, in 2023. Um, at the five minute and 40 second mark, I'll go ahead and give that out to you. Listen from there. It says, Pastor Tritton says, I've seen limbs grow out. I've seen blinded eyes open, question, 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 question. And even, he even claimed for a quick second to have seen p dead people rise from the dead and then immediately corrects himself. These are some very outrageous and mind-blowing claims he's made and said he saw them in person. Would you please share the videos of these said miracle healings? I would have left this comment on the appropriate corresponding video itself, but the admin has turned off the comments off on that video. So, 
Let me first of all explain to you why we do not allow comments on our YouTube videos. When we got started with the church, we had comments, we allowed comments. Um, then we began to notice just a few years ago that in our comments box, even with the appropriate protective measures on that YouTube is supposed to claim to have, to where they watch for inappropriate things to be posted on your videos, um, even with that on, pornographic links were being posted right up underneath of our sermon messages. And so, rather than fight that, because what happened was in the administrative portal, if you have a YouTube channel, you understand this, in the administrative portal on your YouTube channel, you are supposed to be able to see every comment that is made. Well, on these particular comments, I could not access the comments through my administrative portal. The only place you could see them were on our videos. They were discovered by someone who actually clicked on a link and then had a question about the pornographic material that they had seen. We did not post those links. So what we elected to do, because we lost all faith that YouTube knows how to censor inappropriate comments in their comment boxes, we decided to just do away with comments, period. So that is why all comments are blocked on our YouTube videos. We do not allow comments because we are not going to be a place for people to become addicted to porn when we're trying to get God's word across and teach the word of God. On to the next part of the question. I wanted to go ahead and address that first um, because in the next part, I'll go ahead and read the next uh, comment that was left because I just explained that to you and that because it kind of flows together here. And then we'll go back and answer the question about the miracles. Um, I really enjoy your videos and find them uplifting and inspirational, but I have noticed that the comments I left on Sunday sermon from Pastor Trenton a couple of weeks ago have been removed or taken down. I screenshot the comment I left. Would you mind if I left it here? You said if anyone has a comment or an opposing view about anything to feel free to say something to you in this particular video, uh, which is a reference to the video which this comment was posted on, which was tough part two. Truth continue. That was Pastor Brett Heilman, and he was referring to, we are open to that, but we are going to speak the truth that is in God. So um, they go on here to say, you said if anyone has a comment or an opposing view about anything, to feel free to say something to you in this particular video. But I feel that since my comments were censored and taken down, admin turned the comments off. Just explain that. Um, that they may have offered too strong and possibly convincing and thought-provoking to be allowed here. I thought you would, be, you would encourage debate and a different aspect and view. Thank you. Smiley face. All right. So because that kind of runs with our last question, I want to go ahead and clarify once again. Comments, we have not removed comments because we are afraid of questions. Um, matter of fact, we're glad he's asking or she's asking these questions on Facebook or on YouTube. But here's the miracle of the whole thing. Somehow the comments got through even though they were turned off. And then I'll have to go back and turn off comments. So we're going to have to be a little more careful on that because of the reasoning which I gave you earlier. We are not going to allow that. So if that upsets you, I'm sorry. Um, you can feel free to send questions to us through our website, nextlevelfreedomchurch.com. Go to the contact page. Now, here's the deal. Before I even get into the rest of these, and I'm already down to four and a half minutes, so I don't know how I'm going to do this as quick as I would like. Before I even get into any of this, you need to understand something. If you are on here because you are sincerely seeking after God and sincerely seeking after the truth that is in God, then we are more than happy to answer questions. However... If you are on here to simply argue 
and debate with us. And that's your only purpose, is just to argue. You just want to continue to argue. We will not continue to listen, accept, receive any of the comments you are sending. So if you legitimately have questions with God, or about God, we are more than happy to answer that. But we are not going to play keyboard warriors with you and argue with you online about these different things you just want to argue about. Matter of fact, even the Bible talks about people that just want to argue that you just need to let them go. Give them a couple of tries, let them go to Satan. And what he meant by that is, the hope is that when they're out there and they figure out that, hmm, life has not got as much meaning as I thought out here on my own, maybe I should try a different approach, that they will eventually come back to God. Because the truth is, God does have the answers that we are looking for. So I want to make that very clear before we even begin to talk. If you are just on here to argue, we will not answer your comments. We will not respond to your emails. We will not do any of that. We do not have time. So first of all, if you're doing that, you're not only wasting my time, you're wasting your time. There are so many more things you could be doing with your life. If not, we need to figure out why. Um, there are so many things you could be, so many more things you could be doing with life rather than wasting time typing on a keyboard to simply argue. Now I get it. There are people out there, not necessarily saying that about this person, but there are people out there who that's their whole purpose in life is to argue. We don't waste too much time with those people. So it's not that we're afraid to answer questions. It's that we don't have time. God's doing too much right now with too many things in too many areas. We're needed with the people who are actually seeking God, not just trying to argue. We will give the message to whoever will hear it, just like Jesus did, just like the apostles did. The rest of the people that just want to argue, they can argue with themselves because we don't have time for that. So I just want to make that clear um, because I did put that out there. You can contact us through the email. Um, we do not accept comments on YouTube. Now I'm under two minutes, so we'll see how well this goes. As far as the question with miracles, here's the deal. The first thing, which is quoted here in the comment, is I've seen limbs grow out, and I have. I mean, I don't know uh, how to explain that to you. There, there's two reasons we don't record videos of our altar calls here at Next Level Freedom Church. I mean, two that I can think of offhand. Reason number one is we will not invade people's privacy for your entertainment. So. The fact, and, and actually a verse comes to mind whenever I'm talking about this particular topic that I want to read, and I'm going to go over 10 minutes, but hopefully it won't be too much longer. Matter of fact, I'll just add a little bit of time here in a minute. But you need to understand something. Jesus said it this way. I'm just going to read his words. Now, I understand because of the later questions that some of you may not agree that the Bible's legit, and we'll talk about all that when I give you the clip from the message here in just a few minutes. That's not something we're backing down from either, because logic and faith and history and science and archaeology are all in favor of what we speak. And so I have no um, reason to be afraid of questions about where the Bible come from and all that. So that will be addressed. That's going to be the clip from the message that I am going to allow to go up on um, here in just a minute when I'm done talking, um, I'm down to the 32nd second mark. So that didn't go as quick as I'd hoped, but I do hope that this goes quicker because we really don't want to give an hour and a half video because um, people's times, our minds tend to wander. But here's, here's what Jesus had to say. Um, the Pharisees, Sadducees came testing him. This is Matthew 16. So if you're reading along in your Bible, I'm reading out of the New King James Version. Uh, the Pharisees, Sadducees came testing him and asked him. See, there's a key word, testing him. 
and asked him if he would show them a sign from heaven. There goes the timer. Let me go ahead and say, I'll give myself five more minutes because I do want to sum this up fairly quickly. Jesus, um, he answered and said to them, so they came to test him. They wanted a sign, uh, much like this comment was asking for video proof. Now, here's the thing with videos. Let me just be real with you. One, we don't do that because we don't invade peace with people's privacy on live television. Two, I'm not trying to get famous on the miracles God's doing in our house. That's not for me to say. I mean, and if, you're, if your issue is with God himself, then you don't need to take that up with me. You need to take that up with God. Because here's the deal. I don't serve a God who does not exist. I don't serve a God who doesn't talk back. I don't serve a God who doesn't answer prayer, who doesn't respond. When I ask questions, me and God have entire conversations. I listen for answers. God speaks to me. We move forward. God is very real. The only person that needs to defend God is him. He can defend himself. I don't have to defend God. Matter of fact, I would encourage you, if you've got questions for God, ask him yourself. He's going to give you an answer. So uh, I guarantee you that. However, I am here to testify of what God is doing in this house. Things that I've seen. Now, here's the comment says, I've seen limbs grow out. And I have. I mean, we've seen that in a couple of instances here at the church. Now, if you really have a concern with the fact that there's no video proof of this, you can come because many of these people are still here. Some have passed on and went on to be with the Lord. However, the, they, the people are still here. I mean, for a miracle like seeing limbs growing out, there were several people gathered around when this miracle was happening. Several people at our altar, several people watching it. I'd say at least 10 or more, at least in one of the instances, and maybe more than that in one that happened underneath of our first year of cross connection in our tent. So there's plenty of eyewitnesses. It wasn't like it was just me that seen it and saw it. There was a lot of people there. I've seen blinded eyes open. Well, I'm glad you asked about that. There is something I need to clarify. The blinded eyes we have seen opened here at Next Level Freedom Church are blurred vision. They're not necessarily completely blind. I do need to, I realize I need to emphasize that. Sometimes it's just quicker to say blinded eyes because they can't see very well. The miracles we have seen here at Next Level Freedom Church about blinded eyes are people with blurred vision requiring glasses who walk away from the altar no longer needing glasses. Now we have had that fake come through our house too. Um, people that faked their miracle for attention. And, you know, that's, God knew that. It, it was known when it happened. However, there has also been real things, uh, real times when people's eyes were opened. And, and, the, and then the comment here about even claimed for a quick second to have seen people, seeing dead people rise from the dead. Then he immediately corrects himself. Let me go ahead and stress on that and people can go back and watch this for themselves. Um, I wasn't correcting anything. Um, the only thing I was correcting was the fact that I wasn't actually there. I have not physically seen a dead person rise at our altar here at the church yet. Do I think it will be in the future? Probably, more than likely. However, I have heard testimony after testimony after testimony, and the one I was referring to in this particular video was a person from Africa who had in live person, all he did was testify to what God did. A person that was dead for three or four hours, I can't remember the exact amount of time, they prayed 
for three or four hours. And finally, the person stirred around and woke up and stood. There are other stories in our history that about this type of thing happening. Matter of fact, this isn't the only time. All you really have to do is Google. I mean, I mean, and I don't like to use that word Google. Just do some research online. For those of you who need video proof, go out there and look for the videos of the people raising from the dead. But here's what I want to stress to you. Videos can be forged. Videos can be edited. Videos can be made up and made to look real. So I would use a word of caution with you if you're going to go out looking for video proof, and that is to understand something. Videos don't always tell the truth. However, in the fact of God, the reason I can so boldly make these statements, limbs growing out, blinded eyes open, I've even said deaf ears opened if you listen. I don't know if I said it in that particular message, because uh, we've seen that too. People that are, were hard of hearing suddenly could hear. Matter of fact, I have actually had testimonies where I've talked to people who were formerly deaf and at an altar call on a Wednesday night. I talked to the person. The slur in their speech was still there and it was getting better, but they had been deaf their whole life. And at an altar call on a Wednesday night with prayer, this person testified to me, had no idea about this. I had talked to this person before. I wondered why there was kind of a slur in their speech. But you, um, but you notice with deaf people, there is a little bit of a slur because they can't hear themselves. This person testified to me. His ears were open. So I have heard testimony from people who it's happened to, to where their deaf ears were opened on the spot at a prayer meeting in church. So... The only reason I could think of that you would have reason to doubt anything that we're talking about as far as miracles go is if you doubt God himself, you doubt the scriptures, you doubt the text. Because even Jesus told his disciple, greater things than these shall you do. And so if that's the case, then why do we question that? It's like we have a whole lot of Christians out here living like Christian atheists. And, the, the, and I really saw that in a book title before. I didn't make that ain't my word that I made up. But actually, it's interesting because if you look at that, they describe underneath of the title of that book, um, Christian atheists. What is that? Well, that's kind of an oxymoron, right? Well, yeah, it kind of is. But here's the deal. These are people that claim with their mouth they believe in God, but they live as if he doesn't exist. I have no reason to live as if God doesn't exist because I've seen him do too much. I talk to him all the time. I mean, this stuff is legit. I mean, and do you realize, before you go judging me on this testimonial thing and it's not video, do you realize every portion of history you have was the testimony of somebody who wrote that down so that you could read about it? That people were there to see that? So why do we question it when the Bible does it? Well, we're going to talk about that in the later question, so I don't want to get too far into that. So miracle signs, wonders, yes, we have seen them in this house. I do not reframe those words. I do not take those words back because we have seen it. I've seen other miracles, which I don't have time to get into now. I've already went past the other five-minute mark, and I'm trying to keep this quick because I do not want it to end up being an hour and a half like it was formerly. So understand something. If you do not believe in miracles, it is simply because you do not believe God exist or God does that type of thing. I don't really know the understanding there. But what I will encourage you to do is 
um, when these type of things have happened, there have been more than one person here. Many of them are still here at the church. So you are more than welcome to come and talk to the people who it's happened to and let them share their testimony with you. We will not be doing videos and showing these video miracles. One, because that can be fake. And if even if you saw it, you would look at me and say, that's not real. They edited that. They made that up. So no, 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 pastor. I've heard that too. You know, but here's the deal. Even Israel saw God before them. He was a pillar cloud by day, a pillar fire by night. He walked with before them as they entered into the wilderness, and they still had trouble with believing. And he was right there where they could see him. So for those of you that are claiming, if I could see God, I would believe in him. No, you wouldn't. If you don't believe in him now, you're not going to believe in him if he walks through your door tomorrow. Because that's just, humans are skeptics by nature. So for you to question the miracles, I don't know what to tell you. All I can do is tell you what I've seen. And if you choose to believe that, fine. If you don't, fine. I mean, that's on you. I mean, you have that option. Um, like you've said in one of these other comments, you do live in a free country. You have that option to choose whether you believe they're real or not. But I can just tell you what I've seen. And miracles are very real. And they have happened here in this house. But not only even just in this house, many other churches across this land. And it has increased even all the more lately. So I have no reason to doubt that. Um, I don't battle with this idea, is God even real? No, I, I don't battle with that because I know he is. So I talk to him. Me and God have a relationship. I encourage you to get a relationship. If you got questions for God, ask God. I don't know why he does it for some people and for some people he doesn't. I can't explain that to you. Neither can any other pastor on this planet. We can't explain that to you. Matter of fact, we can't explain the joy of the Lord to you. We can't explain any of that. We can't explain... Um, the inspiration of scriptures uh, that we believe, because there was a question, I believe I addressed this in the video link, so I don't wanna, or the video clip, so I don't wanna get into that right now. But you gotta understand something. I mean, all I can do is tell you what I have seen. So you choose whether you wanna believe it or not, but we won't be doing videos. I'm not trying to get famous on people's healings. I don't care about any of that. All I wanna do is know that at the end of the day, I have accomplished God's will for that day. That's it. I pray I'm not the healer. God is. If God chooses to heal a person, then he does. If he doesn't, well, I can't explain that to you. Maybe if you go to heaven someday, you can ask it. So uh, I want to throw that out there. And there's one more I need to get to, and I realize I've went over. So let me try to do this one quickly. Now, this is a long one. So for those of you listening, but I like this because people are asking these types of questions all the time, and I wanted to make sure you understand that um, we're, we're not afraid to answer them. I mean, these are questions that can be answered. Um, but anyway, oh, the verse I didn't read, I'm sorry, Matthew 16, 4. Here's what Jesus had to say. A wicked and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, and no sign shall be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. And he left them and departed. So I'm leaving this part of the conversation now. Jesus plainly said there was one sign that would be given wicked and some translations say perverse generation this one says adulterous generation ask for a sign everybody wants a sign everybody wants video proof but then when they see the video they don't believe the video anyway so it's like a waste of time so i need you to understand something god is god he moves how he wants to move and that's all i can tell you about that i could go on and on and on and on about the miracles i've seen even just in this house even before i launched this church the things i've seen god do but if you're choosing not to believe it, you're not going to believe it anyway. So I don't want to waste any more time on that. Um, I really want to 
address something that I don't actually address in the video link because I actually forgot. Um, but this, and I'll, I think I'll talk about that in a second. Let me go ahead and read this last question because I really need to clear up something, and I think this will only take a second. So, if you're offended and bothered and conflicted by, in your spirit by the conduct and curriculum and the protocols of the public school system, why not you yourself and likewise individuals encourage likewise parents to send your kids and their kids to a more Christian-based educational program? We have individual rights and freedoms in this country free will and free to choose. If those freedoms and rights of others are offensive to you, then send your children to a school or educational program that is more tailored and designed to your Christian core belief systems. You have that choice, you have that right. Critiquing the public school system is not the most admirable way to go about change, in my opinion. If something is offensive or bothersome to you, don't allow you or your family to be a part of it or be taught by it. Don't, tr don't critique and ostracize others for choices they have the freedom to make. Seems very judgmental to me. What do you think? Well, here is what I think. That is a very judgmental statement that you just gave me. So let me just break it to you like this. That would make sense, your answer, if it were only Christians that were complaining about it. So what I want to encourage you to do is do a little bit of research on your own, because I need to wrap this up so we can get into the other part of the video, which I find more important because you're asking about the Bible and how do we know it's the true word of God and all that. And I can sum that up and we'll do that in the video clip here in just a second. However, we're not offended or bothered or conflicted about public school systems in general. The curriculum, however, is the problem, which you did list here. However, if there were just Christians that had a problem with it, this question would make more sense. But if you do just a little bit of research, you're going to find that it's not just Christians that have complaints. And my um, question to you would be this. The people of whatever state you're in, wherever you're at, pay taxes so that their kids or students may be educated in the public schools. So here's what I want to encourage you to do in your research. Because if you research this out, you're going to find it's not just Christians that are complaining. You need to research out about these parents who have been going to board meetings with complaints. Now understand the mainstream media, which we call fake news because it is, has built them as if they're terrorists, which they're not. If you listen to their complaints and the thing they are complaining about, because there are so many topics here that we could discuss that I'm not even going to go into because I need to wrap this up. If you will look that up, find out what the parents are complaining about. They're not all Christians. And matter of fact, their, their big problem with it is the fact that our tax dollars as citizens of the United States pay for the knowledge and education that our students get at the public school system. So the new question becomes, why don't the parents have the right to ask questions about that curriculum when there are questionable things brought up in that curriculum? In my opinion, they have every right ask questions and once again it's not just Christians do the research it's non-Christians as well it's Americans it's patriots it's people that believe in their children getting a good education and here's the other part of that not every parent or family can afford to send their kids to a private school and so for you to judge them and say they just need to do it doesn't make a lot of sense to me either when they're already paying tax money to have their kids educated in the public schools. So my encouragement to you is to do your own research, 
Look into the parents. What are they complaining about when they're going to the school board meetings? Don't just listen to the fake media and the fake news when they tell you that these parents are terrorists. They're not. Actually, these parents have legitimate concerns for their kids. But along with the media and other things in this society, it all ties together. I mean, they, they'll teach you one thing. You need to follow the money. And, it's, and if you follow the money to the top, I'm talking about past CEOs, talking about who develops the country, companies, who funds it, who funds the public school education system, um, who funds those things, I think you're going to be surprised at what you find. So you really need to do a little more research before you come and criticize us for having a concern. We love the public schools. We have a lot of parents in here that have their kids in public schools. There's nothing wrong with public schools. It's the curriculum that many are being forced to teach that they don't necessarily agree with that is the problem. So look into that before you come at me with these types of accusations and questions. So you're talking about not critiquing, so don't critique us either. Do some research, find out for yourself what is the complaint, or actually I should say complaints, plural, because there are many. And there is a lot of agenda. And you need to do some more research to find that out before you come with me with these accusations about it, about it just being Christians that's got a problem. It's not. That's not a true statement. I mean, what about the people that aren't Christians? Should they be forced to go to Christian public school or Christian schools? I don't think so. They should have the right to choose what their students, especially since they're the ones paying taxes, they should have the right to choose what the students are learning. Do some research. I think you're going to be surprised. I believe the rest of the questions are answered in this video clip that we're getting ready to get into. I know I've took a lot longer. I don't know how long I've been talking. I hope it ain't been too long. Um, but I tried to shorten it from what it was. Do some more research. Uh, this is going to answer your next question or set of questions. I believe I'm going to get to all of them in this last part of this message that was given last week. I just wanted to come on here and talk about this, you know, one-to-one -one and just, just listen to what I'm saying. So, uh, and then I want to encourage you with this because I actually, this is the scripture I didn't get to in this clip you're about to see that I had open and I didn't quite get to it. It's, first, it's 2 Timothy 3.16. Here's what it says. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Now, that's not going to mean a lot to you if you choose to believe that this is not truth. And after you see the evidence in this next video clip, you decide. Because here's the deal. The burden of proof, once you hear the evidence, now falls on you or now falls on the critics that are criticizing the word of God. When, when we can give evidence for why this is the word of God, now the proof, the burden of proof falls on those that choose not to believe it because evidence is not a problem with this book. So I encourage you, be encouraged. God bless you. Thank you so much for asking your questions. Um, I hope you enjoy the last part of this past week's message. God bless you guys. I'll see you next time. Here's the one that may take me a minute because honestly, I can't go into every detail about this question, but I can give you some stuff right off the top. We offer an entire class in our leadership classes that goes deeper than what I'm about to tell you. Let's just see. That's why we start our leaders there. We want you to be able to defend your faith.
Do you know why you defend your faith? Do you know why you're a Christian? Do you know why you believe what you believe? Because if you don't, as soon as someone comes along that has something that sounds a little bit better, you're going to believe it and you're going to go wherever the wind blows. Here we go. You relate everything to the Bible, right? And he put a question mark after that. Well, how did the Bible come to be? Don't take my word for it. Now, here's where you need to do your research again, but we're going we're gonna to talk about it. Don't take my word for it. Do your own research. I will. Thank you. I have. And if and when you do, you'll come to find this from studying the actual historical record, record sorry, that Emperor Constantine brought a council of bishops together in the 3rd century B.C., the Council of Nicaea. That was in 325 B.C. Very good. I'm glad you did your research. Good thing. Praise God. And I don't mean that in a smart aleck fashion. I mean good. Good. You did research. That's awesome. That's more than most Christians will do. I shouldn't say Christian. I should say church people. Because just because they're in church doesn't mean they're Christian. All right. All right. Okay. In the 3rd century B.C., 325 B.C., I'll give you the exact date, the Council of Nicaea, to meet and discuss and decide what historical, religious books, letters, epistles, etc. will be canonized for the Christian population to unite under one organized religion. First of all, that information, wherever you found that, is false. The Council of Nicaea had nothing to do with the canon. The Council of Nicaea had to do with figuring out the divinity of Christ. How do we write that? which later the Nicene Creed became, after a few or a couple of revisations, the Apostles' Creed, which came later, and I think it was, if I'm not mistaken, the date was around 525 B.C. when they got the Apostles' Creed. I could be wrong on the date, but I'm just throwing that out there. Nicaea had nothing to do with the canon of scriptures, nor if you, and here's what theologians will tell you, there is a point in time in a council when the Catholic Church at the time made an agreement upon what books would be canonized. But here's the honest truth. The councils had nothing to do with the canon of Scripture. That had been going on years prior. That took place, actually, the, the thing I just referred to where they came together and said, we got a canon of, canon of Scripture, that this is what we're going to live by. That was in the 16th century. That was at the Council of Trent that they finally came to a conclusion after years of debate on what books would be considered canonical. Look it up. Do the research. Don't take my word for it. Go. Do it. Do the research. So the Council of Trent one of the things on the agenda was deciding the canonization of Scripture, the books that they would accept, the letters that they would receive. That all happened there. But understand this, and I'll say it again for clarity. None of the councils had anything to do with the canon of Scripture. There were a variety of books that had been placed before the early Christians much earlier than that. First, second century, apostles would have still been alive when they started. You see, we got something called an autograph, and I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit, but we got what's called an autograph copy. That is the original copy of whatever letter you're referring to. An autograph copy, there are none in existence anymore. What we do have are what's called manuscripts. A manuscript is a copy of the original 
copy. Now they had all kinds of things they had put in place to determine and make sure that it was not written incorrectly. The rabbis, the leaders that wrote on this thing memorized how many letters there were in the scripture, how many words, what the middle sentence was, because they wanted to make sure while coming together with this canon that they did not miss anything. But even with those type of stipulations in place, there were a few discretions, but none that had to do with the doctrine. We're talking about a few misspelled words here and there, or we left out a vowel here and there. Nothing that would cause any historian who's doing actual research to question the manuscripts that are before them. This is just truth. Y'all getting something from this this morning? I hope you're getting something. This I know it's kind of a history lesson, but it's all based on the Bible. I'm going to read a verse in a minute to make you feel better, right? We're going to use some scripture. But you need to understand where this scripture came from if you're going to believe what the scripture says, right? So my, my target audience, if you want to call it that, are those of you who don't know whether to believe this or not. So right now, if I were to read the scripture in 2 Timothy 3.16, which I'm going to read in a minute, that all scripture is God-inspired, you're going to doubt that. Why are you going to doubt that? Because you've got to come to rest within yourself that you can believe the text before you believe anything we talk about in it. This is another reason we start with a 14-week class, 28-lesson series, where we talk about the history, where all this came from, how we landed here, how do we know Jesus is the Messiah, how do we know that the resurrection is real, how do we know all these things. There is so much information that I can't even get to it here. All right, so let me keep reading. I haven't even finished the question yet. He said, look that up for yourself. I have, thank you. Now, how can the human religious men, or bishops, and he's referring to the bishops that Constantine got together in 325 B.C. That was actually a second council. The first council just had to do with those in the West. The second council in 325 was the Nicaea Council. I'm saying it wrong now. Nicaea Council. Am I saying it right? Yeah. Nicaea. Right. Council. I don't know why I got tongue-tied for a second, all right? That came in 325. That was the first time, at least in recorded history, that the entire church bishops at that time got together to talk about the divinity of Christ. Because too much confusion was being put out there because there was nothing sound to look at. So they came up with the Nicene Creed, which is a statement. I'm not going to read it here. You can look it up and read it for yourself. Which later became the Apostles' Creed, which is what we live by today. All right, so that's just a little history lesson. Now, how can human religious men or bishops of that time come together and decide what books will be allowed in the Christian canon? And then people actually say that it's the word of God. He emphasizes that, right? It's almost like a mockery. I'm not sure if you meant it that way, but if you're mocking God, I pray he's speaking to you right now. If human men decide what goes into the Bible. All right, I'm now going to read 2 Timothy and then we're going to move. I'll talk about the evidence. I'll talk about it right now. But let me read you a scripture first. And you're asking me, and I think you actually asked the, second, the same question, Labor. Let, let me see, make sure, because I want, if we're going to do them together, if we're going to do them. 
Yes, question five is similar, so we're going to just do them both together. All right. I have a question. This was later on that day. I have a question that I would very much like to ask you, the pastors of the Concerning Bible, of Concerning the Bible. Sorry, there's a misspelling there. Who decided, who decided what books go into the Bible as we know it? Was it man or God? Well, I'm going to tell you the real answer. Are you ready? Both. What do you mean? That sounds like a cop-out. No, both. That's one of them things I can't explain to you if you've never received Christ because I can't explain it to you. God used man with their own personalities to write the text we now call the Bible. Understanding this, because we're going to talk about historical documents in a minute. This is not one book. This is several documents and books in one Bible. There are 66 books in the entire Bible, 27 in the New Testament. 39, I think, is the right number in the Old Testament. Those are all individual books that had to be accepted as canon. So I want to get to that. But here's the second question. I very much like to ask you, the pastors, concerning the Bible. Who decided what books go into the Bible as we know it? Was it man or God? Both. We'll talk about it in a minute. Where, where, were there books, letters, or epistles of the same time period of Jesus' teaching deliberately omitted from the Bible? Of course there were. You've had false teachers writing false books forever. You know how we know about that? Thanks to guys like Jerome, who are Christians in history, that let us know. Thanks to guys like Josephus, who included it in his book. He concluded these things we call the Gnostic Gospels. These were men that were leading people astray by writing totally new books that they made up to try to take away the divinity of Christ. That's why when you read books like 1 John, for example, he's in defense of you listening to what you've been taught from the beginning. How do we know about the Gnostics? Praise God for men like Josephus, who was, he was just a historian who wrote about it. Praise God for men like Jerome and the other men that came along and let us know these were out there. Because if they hadn't, when the Gospel of Thomas and the Gospel of James and all these Gnostic books came out, what was it, 30 years ago they tried making this a big deal again? All of a sudden, if we wouldn't have known that they were out there, suddenly we'd be lost. And we're going to talk about the canonization. I mean, I'm getting, I think I'm getting ready to close, but let's just see where God goes. You ready? Praise God. Y'all getting something this morning? Look at your neighbor and say, wake up. God is speaking. Are you listening? Here we go. Woo. You ready? This is evangelism. You got to be able to defend your faith. We're told that in the Bible. Always be ready to give an answer or a reason for the faith that you believe in. Always. I'm not afraid when people ask questions. Because history, archaeology, science, and the other ways we determine history are all in my favor. All of them. Anything that's ever tried to come against the truth has fallen. Now, we've still got a few little things from the Jesus Seminar, which was in the 70s, and if you're one of those following that, you need to get out, and you need to get out quick. 
started out with about 300 theologians that came upon that. Their determination when they entered into it was once the other theologians got hold of it, they left, all right? There was only 75, I believe it was, left because the rest of them left because they knew it was false doctrine. The Jesus Seminar came at the Bible and the text automatically in mind saying, I'm going to prove these miracles aren't real. Well, it's called the Jesus Seminar, Pastor. It very much is. Why do you think they use that title? It's easier to deceive you if I can tell you something you're going to relate to. you got to study real history. I don't know what to tell you. You're asking questions that can be answered. All you got to do is look up and do the research. But let me, let's just keep reading. And can I just, here we go again. Can I just be real with you? Where you do your research is determined whether you enter into that research neutrally or not. Meaning, I'm willing to listen to both sides and come to a conclusion. Do you know many of the people trying to prove scriptures inaccurate? They come with one thing in mind. I'm going to prove it doesn't exist. So when you automatically come into this thing with that biased, of course you're going to find stuff. Right? It's all over the internet. That's why I don't recommend you using Google search to find your... If you, and I'm going to, Can I help you out? This is in the secular schools. You ready? If you're doing research on Wikipedia, wake up. Anybody can post anything on Wikipedia. The school system does not even allow the students to use Wikipedia as a source when they are writing a paper. Ask the students. Anybody can put anything on Wikipedia. That, I know it sounds fancy. It sounds like the word encyclopedia a little bit, but it's not. It's not an encyclopedia. It's people's opinions about topics. Now, if you're just looking for when somebody died, yeah, there's a chance what you find on there might be accurate, right? Because all they're doing is telling you. But you want to look to spiritual things, you don't go to Wikipedia for your answers. Even the owners of that site have told you we're not that type of platform. But see, nobody pays attention to these things. That's why the schools don't allow it, because even the owners themselves say, no, this isn't good for research. We just put stuff up so people have information. There is a lot of information. We are in information overload in this generation. That's why so many people are being deceived by so many lies that are easily debunked, but they don't know they can be debunked because they've not done any research. Evolution. I talked about it last week. Prime example. Do you know, you remember that little famous drawing where they had it going from monkey to man? You remember that? Neanderthal and all the different ones on there. Do you realize that everything on there except the monkey and the man, everything in the middle was debunked immediately? Within a week. It was a hoax. One of the most famous that I can remember learning in school was Lucy. What was Lucy? Do you realize that Lucy was actually a monkey skull placed on top of a human jaw so that they could come up with a theory, here's one of the missing links. Look it up for yourself. It's true. Nobody wants to do research. You just want to believe what we're told. Don't take my word for anything I'm telling you this morning. Go look it up for yourself. All right, here we go. Let me keep reading because I know I got to get moving. I don't know how long I've been talking, so I know we got to get through this. All right. So who decided what books go into the Bible as we know it? Man or God? Well, I've told you both. Were there books, letters, epistles at the same time period Jesus teaching deliberately omitted from the Bible? Do you realize just because a book was written at the time of Jesus does not make it true word of God? 
I could probably go through right now and name some history books. I'd have to think about it. That aren't true, but you pick it up and you believe it's true. And they're in this generation. 100 years from now, they're going to look back and say, hmm, there are some documents here. That's not how we base our research. You don't just believe whatever wind of doctrine comes along. Here we go. How can you say with any accuracy that the Bible is the word of God if mankind chose what went into it? First of all, mankind did not. Holy Spirit guided mankind. And we're going to talk about that now because I think, if I'm not mistaken by reading what you're telling me here, your big question isn't really about the council of Nicene or Nicaea. Your question is, how do we know the books in the Bible? How do we know, know that that canon is actual scripture? I think that's your question. If I'm misinterpreting, email's on the website. Click it, ask. Now, here's what I will go ahead and tell you guys up front if you're online or if you're here. If your sole purpose for coming into this discussion with me is to argue, I will not continue our discussion. You are wasting your time. You are wasting my time. If all you want to do is debate and not look at the evidence, by all means, don't send me anything. But if you're actually searching for reasoning for God, by all means, a true one searching. What do we say in the song this morning? The more I seek you, the more I find you. The more I find you, the more I love you. The more I love you. What's the last verse? I don't remember. Maybe that's where it stops. But you begin to find as you search God, this guy's real. This God is real. This is the real deal. Search it for yourself by all means. Were there books? Okay, I already talked about it. How can you say with any accuracy that the Bible is the word of God? You know, it's the eyes again in this text. If mankind showed what went into it, first of all, don't deceive yourself. Man did vote on it, but Holy Spirit had control of that conversation. So let's talk about canon. Let's talk about how we get our canonical books. I hope I said that right. All right. In order to talk about canon, we need to talk about Old Testament canon first. The standards are similar. They really are. But first thing they do, the Old Testament canon, when they were determining the books that went into the Old Testament canon, that actually is what is normally agreed upon was probably finalized around 1 A.D. It took that long for all these books to finally be canonized. All right? Around 1 B.C., maybe B.C. or A.D., around that time period. Around that time period, the Old Testament canon that we know today was in place. So that means when Jesus was walking here, the Septuagint, which is the Old Testament, the Greek version of the original Hebrew Old Testament, that's all history, that's all stuff I don't want to bore people with that aren't there for that. But listen to this. Around that time, they got together. Here's how they determined what books went into the Old Testament. It was based on whether the author of that book whether it was written by a prophet or a spirit-led person. Well, how did they know the difference? Well, just watch. Have you read the prophecies in your Bible? 
the prophets don't disagree. They flow. All right. The second thing they would do to determine canonicity, I hope I'm saying that right, is determine the audience. Here's what they asked. The question was, is this something that can be written to all generations? Because if it's God, every generation is going to be able to understand what you are writing here and relate it back to the word of God. And the third thing they did was they looked at the teaching in it. Was the teaching written in accord with the previous revelation that they had received? In other words, the already books that had already been determined to be a part of the canon did whatever, uh, whatever's written there agree with that. If it didn't, it was cast out. But see, you've got to be able to determine what's a true prophet. See, that's the cool thing about the Old Testament. You read about the prophets and what they prophesied, and then you see it come to pass. God told us, how do you determine a prophet? A prophet, when they speak something, it will come to pass. That's how you know if it's a true prophet. And then God says, if it doesn't come to pass, they've spoken in vain, so don't worry about it. That's the Old Testament. Why did I start there? Because you have to understand why Jesus and them and those in this time period were relying on the Old Testament for the Scriptures. You realize the New Testament wasn't written yet when Jesus was walking and roaming this planet. More than likely, they were reading out of the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation. Understanding Hebrew as well, especially Jesus, he's God, he knows all of it. New Testament, more relevant to you. Salvation. All of it's relevant, don't get me wrong. But what I mean is, how do we know Jesus is the Messiah? How do we know that the books that were in our New Testament are from God? I'm going to talk about a couple of different things. I'm sorry it's taking longer than normal, but I hope you're getting educated. I hope you're learning some stuff. Here's the New Testament canon. There were three ways that they determined if a book made it into the New Testament. And remember... It wasn't just at the Council of Trent when it was all finalized in the 1600s. It was much earlier than that. First, second century B.C. when these letters started going around to churches. Here's what happened. The canon was being determined over a period of years. The first question they asked was the rule of faith. Does what they're saying line up with what's already considered canon? Your Old Testament. The scriptures they had already. Does it line up? Second question they would ask. Is it connected to an apostle or someone affiliated or an associate of the apostle that followed them around? Example, the book of Mark, we believe, was written by John Mark, who followed Peter around and listened to Peter as he told the story of the gospel and wrote his book then. So it either had to be written by an apostle or someone affiliated with an apostle directly. That was the second way to determine, is it going to make it in Scripture? Because the original 12 and the original disciples were with Jesus personally. They know what he said. If they'd have waited too long, that's the other beautiful thing about the Bible. Do you realize that Paul's letters, we believe, were probably the first things written down before your Gospels were written, right? Paul's letters, they're believing, and even if you pick the latest date possible on the scale, within 30 
to 60 years of Jesus actually walking on the planet, Paul's letters were written. And maybe even Mark and some of the Gospels. Well, that sounds an awful lot like a long time, Pastor. Actually, it's very, very close. Do you realize that most of your historical documents that you read about in school, some of them are even a thousand years out before we have any documentation of the event that happened? Yet we accept it as truth, even though it was written a thousand years after it took place. You want to have a hard time remembering something, a thousand years is a long time. But we accept it as truth. I'm not saying those documents are wrong, but what I'm pointing out to you is for any other history evidence, the books, the things we base our evidence on, the Bible is the closest one of any historical document you've ever read in your history book. With the exception of the presidents and things we know about in our country, right? This is where it can get tricky, right? Do you know for sure George Washington was the first president of the United States? I'm going to talk about it. I'm sorry, guys. I got more to go. I hope you guys are good. If you got to go, I understand. God bless you. Is it connected to an apostle? Second determination. And the third thing they would look at is, was this book or letter accepted by the early church? Here's why. Any letter that was written false doctrine, the Christians of the early day of the church would have rebuked. If it was accepted by the early church, Peter, Paul, the churches that they were writing letters to, if it was accepted by them, then there's a good chance you're reading accurate history. Can I just break something else down for you? This is going to take you for a loop. You want to know. Do you realize that there is no part of our history whatsoever that we can say is true by 100% accuracy? What do I mean by that? Meaning, they can't say the accuracy is like 2 plus 2 equals 4. That accuracy is not there. Nothing is 100%. Your court systems don't even use 100% accurately when the jury is determining a case. Here's where they want it to land. The target zone for the apologetical books and the arguments there, or even just your regular everyday history books, or even your court cases. Ask the lawyer. He's back here. The target zone is somewhere between reasonable the evidence makes it reasonable that it's true and highly probable. They can never know with 100% accuracy that it's true. Because unless you were there, and even, even then, let's just think about this, you have your perspective on what you saw. Do you realize even your FBI and the different people that do that kind of uh, investigation, they will doubt truth is being told if the stories are too similar. If the stories are identical and everything they're saying is word for word, that's what I'm getting at, then they question the accuracy of that statement. Why? Because you always have every person's take on what they saw happen. And all of them are just a little bit different. 
one person saw the guy running with a purse. Another person just saw the guy talking to the lady. They didn't see him run. I don't know why I use that example. That's probably a bad example, all right? So you, if any type of crime is happening, everyone that saw that crime now has a perspective on what they saw. This is why when you read through your Gospels, the four we call Gospels, the stories are very similar but a little bit different. They're a little bit different because you're reading that particular apostle's take on what happened. That right there by itself is good reason to believe it's true because they're not exactly the same. They're a little bit different. People want to use that as against it, but you can't do that. If you do that, you got to throw out every court case we've ever had. Because none of them have the same exact story. It's always a little bit different. Am I right, David? <laughs> he said, yep. I was saying, there's a lawyer in the house. Ask him. All right, here we go. All right, so here's, okay. Let me, let me try to wrap this thing. I know he's got a couple of more questions, but we'll try to get through those quickly. Let me, let me just go ahead and talk about the canon again for just a minute. Here is the criteria used to determine what goes into your history books and every other book in history, how we determine it is accurate history. Are you ready? Look at your neighbor and say, I'm ready. There are three main types of criteria that are used in determining a historical book. The first one is the criterion of multiple attestation. Did I say that right? Attestation. Here's what it means. The more sources you have saying the same thing, the more likely it's true. Well, that's just not fair. You can't do that with the Bible. Why not? Do you realize, and I think I mentioned this last week, do you realize that most of our history, if it's just a couple of documents that say it, we take it as history. As long as they're closer, they line up. Do you realize that the Bible has thousands of, of manuscripts to determine accuracy. If something was changed, it makes it obvious. There are thousands of manuscripts that can be said of no other person, history book we have in this society. None even come close even come close to having the amount of documents we have for the Bible. None. Do your own research. None. The second criteria. You ready? The criteria of embarrassment. What do we mean by that? Here's what it means. When a writer includes material that is embarrassing or counterproductive to their cause, this indicates they are probably telling the truth. What do you mean? Let me give you a biblical example, okay? If I wanted to make you think that Jesus was God and I wanted to convince you of that, I'm not, if I'm a liar, I am not going to include in my document that Jesus sweat blood in the garden because that makes him look weak. 
I won't include that. I'm not going to include that his 12 disciples ran for their lives when the army showed up. I'm not going to include the fact that women were the ones who discovered the tomb first because in this society back then, women were not looked highly upon as evidence of witnessing something. So if I wanted to make up a tale to tell you that Jesus is God and I'm trying to convince you of that, I'm not going to tell you his flaws. But if I'm trying to record accurate history, I'm just going to tell you what happened. You determine it for yourself. That is the criteria of embarrassment. Last criteria, not probably more, but these are the top three. Are you ready? Criteria of coherence. What does that mean? Remember, this is for every history book. This is not just the Bible. This is what they critique history with. It says, once we have a certain amount of historical material in hand, in other words, you've gathered all the documents that you have, whatever fits well with these already known facts has a good chance of being historical if we've already made a determination about a document that we believe is true because there's no reason we have to doubt the author of that document that they were lying to us and there's other documents that back up what they're saying the more likely it's true here's the difference I just told you your regular history books you might have a couple of documents the Bible, you have thousands and thousands and thousands to choose from. That's a good point, Lisa, and I didn't say that. And we do talk about that in our class, too. If it's lie, if it's a lie, I'm not going to die for a lie. I'm going to come clean about whatever I lied about so I don't have to die. It's believed that every one of these apostles suffered death, even though we aren't 100% on all of them how they died based on tradition and things of that nature. They all died for what they believed in. They were tortured. Let's not just look at the disciples. What about the people being burned alive that weren't one of the original apostles that stood for the faith? You're not going to do that for something you don't believe is true. Why? Because it's just not your nature. If I'm lying to you about it, I'm not going to go to the flame for that. I'm not going to die on a cross for that. I'm not going to be killed, period, for a lie. But if it's true, and I die believing it's true, then we can think, you know what? There might be some truth to what they're saying. Why else would they suffer such deaths? Some of them were horrific. So here it is. Last thing. I'll get to his last question, which is really self-explanatory, so I'm not going to have to say much on it. We have something called the inference of to the best explanation. This is what they do to determine what goes in your history book, whether it's the Bible or another document. World history. doesn't matter. Here's what they do. They gather all of the relevant information so they can compare it. Then they determine a pool of options to explain the event based on background belief. What do you mean? 
does what's happening in these documents line up with what you already believe? The third thing they do, select the best of the competing explanations by seeing how well they explain the evidence. So if there's arguments, they're going to look at the best ones and see how they line up with other documents they consider the best ones before they tell you it's history. I, I want to leave you with this before I answer your last, well, one's a statement, one's a question. And it's not just him, it's whoever else. I want to leave you with this. Remember, and I said it already, but I want to say it again because I need you to understand something. Any document in history, including your textbooks at your schools or wherever you're at, the goal in order to put it in that book is it, some, it falls somewhere between reasonable, reasonably can we believe this is history, or highly probable. None of it is written with the intent of 100% accuracy. They had that intent maybe, but that can't be done. You weren't there. And even if you were, it's your perspective on what happened. So why then, and I hope I'm talking to you that asked the questions and anybody else that's got these same questions. Why then, if this is, and I've just given you everything, look it up for yourself. If this is how we base our history books, why then do we hold the Bible at any different standard? Because here's what happens to the people that are trying to prove the Bible wrong. They'll just come out and say it's not true. They will hold it at a higher rate of criteria, right? You got to be able to show me the miracle happened. Give me a video. I don't believe it. Yet you make decisions every day in your own life based on probable results. Every chance you take, you get out of bed, you get in your car, you're taking a chance. You don't know if you're going to make it wherever you're going or not. It's probable. You make decisions on the fly if they're probable or reasonable. That's how we, that's everyday life. So why do we feel like we have to take the Bible at any different standard? You can't just tell me because it's a religious book because that's a lie. It's a documented book. It's history. The evidence says so. Don't come to me trying to tell me the Bible doesn't fit into any of those categories. Yes, it does. If I'm going to judge history, I want to judge the Bible by the same amount of history. If I'm going to write something in my history book that's true, and if I'm going to say the Bible is true, I better have the documentation to back up what I'm saying. If you don't, then you're in trouble, whatever you're trying to put out there. So, based on all that, you take it for yourself. You make the determination. You do the research. You do the historical records. You, I encourage you, do the research. Please research me. Please research me. But go into your research with a neutral mindset. I'm going to recommend a book for you. It'll save you some time on your research. Are you ready? The Case for Christ by Lee Strobel. Look it up. Lee Strobel's story, he was a reporter and a journalist that set out on a mission to prove the Bible inaccurate. He was doing the research. That's what the book is. It tells you the research he did. Only to find out, even though he was a self-proclaimed atheist, 
at that time, only to find out, based on all the evidence, this is highly probable to be true. And he had to make a decision. Same for you. You do the research. You make a decision. Don't go into this thing thinking you're going to read all the books that prove God's not real because all you're doing is reading people that are just telling you one side of the story. You go into the research looking up both sides, and then you see which side makes more sense. Do it. You know, Christianity, as far as I know, is the only religion that I could tell you that. We call it a religion. It's a relationship, but you know what I mean. It's the only world religion that will tell you do the research. The rest of them don't want you knowing all the research. Do it. I don't know how to say that any different. Do the research. By all means, please do the research. But don't go into it thinking God's not real and think you're going to come out with what you thought. And then you're going to come back to me saying, uh-uh, I looked it up, Pastor, you're wrong. No, that's because you read every document that told you I was wrong and didn't give you a reason why. They might have gave you their lie about why I was right. But if you can't read both sides, just not really research. If you can't look at the evidence for the biblical being historically accurate and look at the evidence that's trying to say he's not and come to a decision, you're not doing accurate research. Do it. He asked a quick question, and really this one can be said pretty quick. There's nothing to explain. I'm, I'm, uh, this was on uh, the next day, 6.33 p.m. Uh, tough part one, because part two I had already took down comments again. Tough part one, here's what happened. He goes to the bottom of the video, makes the comment. He has a question, and it's an honest question, and I love honest questions. Here we go. Genesis 19, 30 to 38, and I believe you can back up to verse 27 as well and go through 38. Lot laid with his daughters to continue his lineage. First of all, that statement is false. That is a false statement. Go back and read it again, because here's what really happened in this story. The daughters got Lot drunk first. And here's why. Most common sense explanation I can think of. But highly theoretical, if you want to think in big terms. If he had been in his normal mindset, he would not have allowed incest to come into this cave. They got him drunk. And here, do your research around history, around this time period. By this time in history, incest was a crime. It was already considered wrong, not just based on the Bible, but on other historical documents from countries around the Bible. If they caught someone in incest, they would either be killed or removed. They could not come back to that society. That is an abomination. It was an abomination in every society. Not just what you're reading here. What they did was wrong, no matter their motives. One theory suggests, because of all the cities being destroyed around them, they thought, this is the end of the world. In order to keep dad's bloodline going, we got to sleep with our dad. That is incest. You're right. Didn't say they were right in that choice. And I don't think Lot would have agreed they were right either. And he wouldn't have allowed it if he had been in his right mind. Lot is Abraham's nephew, according to the Bible, right? Exactly, he is. 
Lot is Abraham's nephew from Abraham's brother, Haran, who died mysteriously. The Bible doesn't give us, you know, really how he died, but that he died young. That's what we know. At that point, Abram took on Lot as his own. He is. He's his nephew. Would you please explain this? Because it appears that it's incest. How can that be right? That's exactly what it is. It is incest. You're right. But by me telling you that, I'm not agreeing with what they did. But I'm telling you that is what was happening. And yes, it was wrong. But before you go judging the daughters, ask yourself, why do you make the choices you make? Because you've made some bad choices yourself. And I'm not talking to one person. You've made some choices that are questionable. What were your motives? Their motive is made plain in the Bible. Their motive was, we got to get dad's bloodline because we're the last people on earth possibly. You know, we don't know if that was what they're thinking. But for some reason, they thought they were the only way they could continue his bloodline and he's getting old. Right? So, yes, it's incest. No, it's not right. It's included here. That's another example. Can I just say this? We just talked about this. That is another example of the coherence of embarrassment. Why would you include that in a text if it wasn't true? I wouldn't. I'd have left that out if I was trying to convince you Abram was such a good guy. The truth is Abram wasn't perfect either. Why God chose him? There's some theories on that, and I believe there's books that talk about that, other historical books outside of the Bible. But whatever the reason, it's because God chose him. He didn't do anything different from us except maybe seek God's face. Maybe, in a world that was telling him idols were real? I don't know. That would have been something I left out. So that right there, just that one couple of verses tells me, more than likely, Genesis is highly probable to be an accurate book of history. Because I'd have left that out. The last thing was just a statement. I'll just read it before we wrap up. And I know I've went long, but I hope, I don't know how long I've been up here, but I hope you've learned something. Good news is, for those of you online, you can pause it and watch the rest later if, you, if it's too long for you, right? Last thing he had to say. 7.30 p.m. that night, January 26th, same video. I'm searching for answers by reading my Bible and trying to develop a relationship with God by reading my Bible. And don't understand this. Thank you, smiley face. So I got a word for this person if they're listening right now, which they should be because I told them this was going to be there. Just the simple fact that you're searching tells me something. You say you're searching for answers by reading your Bible. Good place to start. One of the most accurate history books we got. Based on our criteria, right? And then you told me you're trying to develop a relationship with God by reading your Bible. That's perfect, too. Awesome. Best way to do it is read his word. Amen, Christians? Okay, some of y'all fell asleep on me. That's okay. I know it's been a long. Amen, Christians? Best place to find out what God has to say is reading his word. And don't understand this. Thank you. Thank you for asking. Thank you for asking your questions. Thank you for being curious. Thank you for doing a little bit of your own research before commenting me. Thank you. I mean that. I don't mean that being a smart aleck. I mean that. Thank you. If more people would ask these questions, 
truth could be spread like wildfire. Trouble isn't, most people don't ask because they don't know to ask. So your last statement tells me that possibly the Holy Spirit's been dealing with you on some things. Does it mean you're born again? I don't know if you are or not, only you know that. Best feeling in the world, worst feeling in the world. Do you know that receiving God is this simple? It's really easy. And I hope if you've listened to the end, even if you're not the original person that made these comments, but you're someone else out there that's been looking for answers, I hope, share this by all means. Share it with other people. This is a quick way to get the truth out there. It's as simple as asking. That's it. Man has complicated it over the years. God didn't make it complicated. He made it easy. You ask. You want to receive salvation from God? You ask. You simply ask, dear Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I believe you died on the cross for me. And I believe you rose on the third day, becoming victorious over death that I might live. I ask you to come into my heart, be Lord of my life. Forgive me of all my sins. From here on out, I want to live my life for you. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for saving me. In your name I pray. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, you meant it from the bottom of your heart. I'm here to say welcome to God's family. Here's how you know you meant it. How you live tomorrow. Did anything inside of you change? Doesn't mean you're going to be perfect tomorrow and have it all figured out. That's not what that means. It means you'll recognize when you do something wrong. Because the Holy Spirit convicts. Best feeling in the world, worst feeling in the world. Best because you know it's there. Worse because it doesn't always feel good. Even me. God sometimes has to slap me around a little bit. Trenton, hey. Amen? And if you tell me you've never been there, you lied to me in church. Amen. God has at least slapped you around a few times in your life to let you know, hey, wake up. This is truth. You need to hear it. Amen? If you pray that prayer, you mean it from the bottom of your heart, your next thing you need to do is be baptized. And the best way you can do that is finding a church that is teaching discipleship, joining, getting baptized, following in Jesus' footsteps. You can be baptized before you even join a church. But you need to be baptized. And then you need to be discipled. Thank you so much for joining with me online. I know it was long, but I pray you got something out of it. And I pray that God's spirit touched you this morning right where you're at. God bless you. I'll see you next time.